How much money does it cost to become a professional author? Now, long term, most authors want to make more money writing than they'd spend on writing. So writing for someone like James Patterson is free. He can buy himself a new laptop with the money that he makes in royalties. But he didn't start out that way. And just like any profession, it costs money to get started. You may not be a carpenter buying thousands of dollars worth of drills and saws, but there are some costs to getting started with writing. And today, we're going to assume that you already have the money that you need. If you're broke, I recommend going back and listening to my episode titled The Starving Author, How to Market Books Without Money. <laughs> One of the things I talk about in that episode is that if you don't have money, you don't need to write a book. You need to get a job <laughs> because this is not an industry that makes money quickly and it's not an industry that makes money for everyone. But let's say that you do have a job, or at least that you have money. So now what do you do? Well, you need a plan. And there's a fancy word for a money plan. It's called a budget. It's a, a budget is not spending a little bit of money on something. A budget is a plan for how much you're going to spend. And you can budget to spend a lot or a little. And what makes it a budget price is the fact that you've decided on it ahead of time. And in this episode, we're going to talk about your budget for the first years of your writing career. So how much money does it cost to get started? Find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living writing books worth talking about. We have a special guest on the show today to talk to us about budgeting. He is the host of the Profitable Writer podcast and the founder of the Profitable Writer Community, a membership group that serves writers and helps them to become more profitable. Kent Sanders, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be on. What do you recommend for keeping track of expenses and for setting up a budget? That's a good question. So in the beginning years of my journey, I used a spreadsheet from Dave Ramsey, actually, this was before I even got into software for this stuff. Then I switched to this software called YNAB. It's spelled Y-N-A-B. It stands for You Need a Budget. I used that for a long time. And then once I got really serious about my business, then I actually hired an accountant. And they take care of that in terms of keeping track of expenses and so forth. And that's been really, really helpful the last two or three years. I will say, however, that I also keep track of my income on a separate spreadsheet. And I don't, I know my accountant does that, but I keep track of that myself because the way that I lay that income out in different income streams and so forth, I need to see that visually in a different way than what my accountant shows me. So that for me has been really, really helpful. Yeah. With financial accounting, the accountant is typically trying to put things into categories so that you can pay your taxes correctly. Exactly. The categories of money has to do with tax categories, whereas the kinds of questions you're trying to answer are, was this effort profitable or not? Yes. So like, for instance, I was doing this exact thing just a few weeks ago, trying to answer the question, did I lose money or make money on the novel marketing conference? <laughs> so I don't care <laughs> that it's in the food tax category. I care that it's in the event, like expense category and the same with the income and as your finances get more complicated, as you have more sources of revenue and more sources of expenses, that sort of, you know, using spreadsheets to answer questions is important. And eventually you are going to want to learn how to use a spreadsheet. 
just because it's so much easier and it takes all of the math yeah. out of this. The, a lot of people who've never used a spreadsheet get very intimidated by spreadsheets, but really, if you realize that it's just a way to not have to do any math, even on a calculator, it makes your life a whole lot easier. And there's a lot of YouTube videos that can show you the basics of spreadsheets and spending just a couple of hours learning spreadsheet basics. And even using just a really easy spreadsheet like Google Sheets, which is free, yep. can totally tra- change your life. It's really useful. And I'll say, actually, we're using YNAB right now for our family budget. And I, I really like YNAB because it helps you think in terms of setting money aside now to use that money in the future, Yes, which is really useful. And the tool that I used to use, Mint, is going away into it. The destroyer of all that is good in the world really? is crushing it and turning it into some buying credit cards tool. I think it's called Credit Karma's. But anyway, YNAB is really good. So before we get to year one and start walking through the things that you do need to spend money on, I, we should ask, what are some unnecessary expenses that you see authors wasting money on? <laughs> what are some easy things that we can not worry about right now? Okay, this is going to be a little controversial, and I understand that. But something I've seen a trend in the, I would say, online entrepreneur slash author slash right? Freelancer writer world the last few years. And that is, there's been a big emphasis on building a team. And I think teams are great. That's something that I personally miss is going somewhere and seeing people and having conversations. So I'm all for teams and for working with people in collaboration. However, I do see a lot of emphasis on hire this out, hire that out, spend money on this or that person. And I think you need to be profitable before you start spending money on personnel or assistants or overseas production people or whatever it is. Because there is some value in learning how to do things yourself. I think that makes you more nimble. I think it makes you smarter. And I I would just caution authors against being really, really quick to hire everything out in their business and spend money unnecessarily just because you see all the people online doing the exact same thing. Or you see somebody who's been writing for 10 years and they're like, well, this person has this big team. It's like, yeah, but they also have 10 years worth of books that are earning them royalties and all of this other ancillary income. I think one rule of thumb to help you know when to hire is, am I more cash rich or time rich? (laughs) The more cash rich and time poor you are, the sooner you're going to want a team because you have the money for the team, but you don't have the time to do it yourself. But a lot of authors who are cash poor and they hear that kind of advice get pressured into being like, well, gosh, I, I have to hire an accountant to do my bookkeeping. No, you don't. <laughs> right? Ken, Ken's been doing this for years and he's got a bookkeeper. You don't need a bookkeeper. I still do my own books. I have it automated. Joanna Penn has been doing this for 20 years and it's just her still and an army of AIs <laughs> that she uses <laughs> to, to do her work. She And she'll hire out certain specific things like for covers and for editing. But in general, she doesn't have a team. When I interact with her, I'm interacting with her directly, not with some assistant that's acting as a gatekeeper. And so you don't have to have a big team. And the bigger your team is, the more time you spend managing your team rather than doing whatever else that you're doing. That's That's an important thing to keep in mind. That said, I'm all for working with an assistant if you can afford one. Uh, But I will say, back to Kent, your point, 
if you know how to do it yourself, it allows you to hire an assistant who you can train, which is yes. going to be cheaper and probably better tailored to what you're looking for in the long term than hiring an expert who's bringing in their expertise. Yes. And so that's another thing to navigate. But I have a bunch of episodes on working with assistants, both how to do it, when to do it, and also how to get paid being an author assistant. So we won't go into too much of that now, but if you want to learn more, we'll have links to those episodes. But let's get into year one of your writing career. So you've now decided that you want to become an author and you started writing a book. I would say the number one thing that you either need to buy or already own is a computer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And um, I've been getting a lot of questions lately about what kind of computer that I recommend. And it's interesting because if you're just getting started, you actually could start with a $200 Chromebook. You can put Atticus, which costs, I think, $150 mm-hmm. on a Chromebook. And Google Docs, of course, works on a Chromebook. And so you don't have to spend a lot of money on a Chromebook. So that's kind of the cheap end. That's not what I personally would recommend. The computer that I use and recommend is a Mac. And if for an author, I think I'd recommend the M2 15-inch MacBook Air. I feel like that's the best bang for the buck in the Mac world. Macs are actually cheaper than PCs in the long run because they, they last longer. So they're not cheaper up front. So, so if you can't afford one, don't buy one. But in my experience, you know, the typical Mac laptop will last five to eight years, where the typical PC laptop lasts about two to five. Well, I'll throw in my two cents here. So from 2011 through 2020, I used the same MacBook Pro. It was a 2012. So it lasted a long time. In fact, my wife still uses that computer. So this is 13 years into the ownership. I love Max, I think Apple's a great company. They last forever. So I could not agree with you more. <laughs> so I'll do an episode here soon where I compare and make a recommendation on my very top Chromebook, my very top PC, and my very top Mac. Because what you need varies, but what is definitely true is that you need something. And yeah. preferably, I, I recommend having a laptop so that you can write at coffee shops and you can write where you're out and about. You can have that in addition to your desktop. It's okay to have more than one computer. And nowadays, it's really easy to sync files. If you're using Atticus, that syncs the files automatically. Google Docs does it automatically. If you're using Scrivener or Microsoft Word, you can use a tool like Dropbox to sync the files. Microsoft 360 also has a way of syncing files. And so you don't have to have just one computer like you used to in the olden days. I would say another expense that you'll want to start paying for. And this is an annual expense in year one is you want to buy yourname.com if you can get it. You're not building a website yet. I don't recommend building a website your first year if you're a novelist. If you are writing nonfiction, I think the order of these things is a little bit different. I think you want to start blogging a lot sooner. So maybe maybe in year one, you do build your website. But at the very least, you want to get yourname.com to protect it from somebody else from getting it. And it will also determine what your name ends up being. Some authors will tweak their name a little bit, right? They'll add their middle name or they'll use initials. And a lot of that's dependent on what domain is available. <laughs> so you don't want to find that that's out. True. If your name is John Smith, your name is taken. Kent Sanders, your name was probably taken back in the 90s, I'm guessing. Yes, some guy owns kentsanders.com. I've actually contacted him twice. He will not sell me the website, although it's not being used currently. So, man, 
back in the 90s when I got a thing in the mail that was some advertisement from a web hosting company. Do you want to buy CantonSanders.com? I thought, why in the world would I ever need a website? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Well, shows what I know. Been there, done that. Yeah, it's rough. And some names are more common than others. If your name is really hard to spell, you're more likely to be able to buy your name.com. Whereas if your name is really common, you may find yourself adding a middle name <laughs> in order to own your name.com. Or if it, the other option is to say author com, something like that. There's different ways of handling it. But regardless, you want to buy something, even if it has no website, just to own that domain. And then the only other thing I would recommend spending money on in the first year is education. So if you're going through the five-year plan, you read a book on craft every month in the first year, and then you write a short story putting those principles into practice. So spending money on craft books, really valuable skill. And then, you know, spending money on courses, <laughs> the five-year plan, you can put that into your, your budget here. But earlier on in your career, education is a better bargain. Because let's say you've got 20 years left in your writing career and you spend $200 on a course. Well, that course, you're going to use that knowledge for 20 years, which means the cost of that education amortized over the course of your career is $10 a year <laughs> for that knowledge. Whereas if you're on the very last year of your career, you only have one year left and then you're retiring and you spend $200 on the course, that cost of that course amortizes to $200. There's no additional years for you to use that knowledge. And early in your career is when you have the highest likelihood of avoiding learning lessons the hard way. <laughs> so this is really when you want to spend your money on education the earlier on. Education is always a good value, but early it's even more value. Absolutely. Any other costs or expenses for authors to keep in mind in that first year? I think the only thing that I would add is if there's anything that you can do at a low cost where you're not breaking the bank that puts you in the orbit of other people who can help you, I think that's really valuable. Things like being a part of a membership or if there's a free or low cost type of mastermind that can really help you get around people who are doing the same thing or can help you get ahead in some way. I have found that those kinds of things are really, really invaluable. And authormedia.social, as we record this, is still free. And everyone who joins yep. while it's free will always have access to it. While it's free, patrons for $4 a month, there's a Q&A once a month that patrons can pick my brain. But there is something to be said about a higher ticket commitment, right? Where you're a part of a mastermind Absolutely. group or a writer's group where you're paying a little bit more money. Partly because of the change it has on you, right? Where your money is, there yep. your heart will be also. So with that, let's go on to the second year of your writing career. I recommend, again, setting money aside for education. So a book a month, you're looking at 10 to $20 a month for reading craft books. And that's assuming that you're buying them all at the store and not getting them at the library. Craft books are pretty easy to find at the library, depending on the craft book. And some craft books cost more or less than others. The second year is also typically where people attend their first writer's conference. So this is, let's say, $500 to $1,500, depending on where you live. So this is where normally living out in the country saves you money, right? Food is cheaper, mm -hmm. rent is cheaper, your mortgage is cheaper, the land is cheaper. But if you live out in the country, you are not close to a writer's conference. 
Yes, that's Which true. means some of that money that you saved living out in the country you're going to need to spend for a taxi and an Uber and a flight and a hotel to go to a writer's conference. Whereas if you're paying the big prices of living in the big city, you're more likely to have a local writer's conference to attend. And mm-hmm. the first writer's conference I recommend attending is not that big famous one that's on the other side of the country that everybody goes to. It's whatever you can get that's local. Even if it's not the right fit for you, right? You're writing nonfiction. This is for novelists or the other way around. Still better to go to the local conference that's relatively very cheap because you're sleeping in your own bed and eating your own food just to get that experience. And you'll still learn a lot. <laughs> right? You're like, I write fantasy. What can I learn from romance authors? A lot if you have a teachable spirit. <laughs> so totally. go to that local conference, even if it's not a good fit for you. There will be additional conferences in the future. You can spend more money for a better fit or a more famous conference, but local is better to get started. Some other things you probably want to spend money on in the second year, business cards. If you're going to go to a conference, you'll want to spend money on business cards. We actually have a whole episode on business cards for authors. You're looking at about 50 bucks for business cards. They're not super expensive. This is also where you're going to get your first headshots. You'll want your headshots for your website, maybe also for your business cards. Who knows? You can get headshots for as little as $50 and for as much as $500, 1000 I think at this point in your career, some cheap mall headshots. You can just get a group on. You can go to JCPenney's for real cheap and get some good basic professional headshots is fine. There will come a time when you're putting your photo on the back of your book. And this is a photo that you'll be remembered for mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. You probably don't want a $50 headshot for that. <laughs> you probably want to go with a photographer who's a little bit more skilled in your area who can, who can pull out your personality better. But just getting started, I think a basic headshot is fine. I do think that you should spend money on this, though. Don't let your photographer friend or your spouse with a smartphone take your photo. This can be used for the website. It needs to look professional if you want people to take you seriously because you're still not published yet and so the markers that you do put out need to be very professional to make up for the fact that you're still unpublished and a good professional headshot a good professional business card is a good step in that direction yes totally agree and then the second year is also where you're building your website at least a basic you know two three page Website it doesn't have to be very complicated. In fact, it could just be a one-page website. You want to start that timer for your Google rankings, and it doesn't have to be a lot of money. I have a guide on how to build a website for like three or four hundred dollars using WordPress and Divi. It's actually a little bit cheaper now because Divi has a lower cost of entry than it used to. Divi has a really good lifetime deal that's the same price it always was, and that's cheaper in the long run. If you're just getting started and you only want to pay for a year of it, you can get a year of Divi really cheap. I have a free course that walks you through how to build your own website, and it's it's good to have that. And now you have something to put on your business card, and you're going to start feeling like a real author with a professional headshot, a real business card, and a real website. <laughs> totally. It really changes the game. And once you have that website, you're going to want a reader magnet to put on it to encourage people to sign up for your email list. So there's going to be some costs there. That reader mag is going to be one of those short stories that you hopefully wrote in year one while you're reading all those craft books. There's some cost to a high quality reader magnet. You'll want to spend at least 50 bucks for the cover. Some people will spend as much as 250 on a cover. You don't have to do that, but it needs to be a good cover, but it can be from a template. I'd also pay to get it edited, which I know, I know. 
<laughs> but this is your first impression, and you're still a new author, so you want to get some professional editing. Sometimes you can barter for this if you're cash poor. You trade an editor some website work, right? You go through my mm-hmm. course on building websites, and you're going to very quickly know more on websites than most authors. And you'll have a tradable skill because a lot of editors would very happily trade editing for website work. And the next thing I would say is an email service provider, right? Because people are signing up to get your reader magnet. You're wanting to collect their email address. And an email service provider like MailerLite or ConvertKit, those are free for your first thousand subscribers. So you probably aren't going to pass that your first year, but I do recommend making that your goal. You want to be paying for your email service provider. You want to get over a thousand uh, as quickly as possible because it changes the whole game when it comes to launching your book once your subscribers are measured in the thousands. The final piece I would say for year two is you'll want a tool to deliver that reader magnet to your new subscribers. The Top two tools for this are Story Origin and Book Funnel. And neither of those are very expensive. I think Book Funnel is like $20 a year for their starter plan. It's not very expensive, but this will make it a lot easier to deliver your reader magnet and, and start onboarding readers. And now you've got a website. You have a, some fiction that people can read. You're not selling anything yet, but you're getting feedback and you're building a email list of fans who are anticipating your book coming out. This is when it's starting to get fun, which takes us to year three. <laughs> year three is, I'd say, the year that you have to determine what direction you're going to take your writing because some of the costs will shift. So traditional publishing is cheaper for you up front because you're not paying for a lot of things, but it's far less profitable for most authors because they're also not making really any money from the books that get sold. So traditional publishers spend all of the money and they collect almost all of the money. Traditional authors get a tiny fraction of the total money that comes in. So if you have a $20 book that sells at a retailer, by the time everyone gets paid between the customer and you, there's about 80 cents left. Maybe a dollar of a royalty left. And that actually doesn't even go into your bank account. It goes against whatever advance that you got. And so for most authors, they never see that money. They only see the advance money that they get. Whereas for indie authors, they're getting money every couple of weeks or every week from Amazon and the other retailers that are selling their books. But they also have to spend money for editing the whole book. They have to spend money for the cover. And they'll need to spend money for typesetting software, which is one of the things that if you're going into, you'll need to budget for. Vellum is the most popular typesetting software. It only works on Mac. It's about 250 bucks. If you're using Atticus from year one, that actually has typesetting powers built into it. There's a bunch of other ways to do typesetting for books. Ken, I'm going to guess you use Vellum since you're a Mac user. I do. There's two reasons. One is it looks really good on Mac and it's designed for Macs, but also Vellum is an official sponsor of my podcast. So, Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) um, And I don't use them because they're paying to be a sponsor. They pay to be a sponsor because I love their products so much. I reached out to them when I started doing sponsorships about a year and a half ago. And I said, hey, would you guys be interested in sponsoring my show? I use Vellum and I talk about it all the time. Maybe we can come up with an arrangement. And they did. And they are the greatest guys in the world. They're so responsive and so supportive. So I also just happen to really like their product. 
That being said, if you're a PC user, you're kind of out in the cold with Vellum. So I think Atticus is a great tool too. I've had the the creator of Atticus on my podcast and he's a great guy, Dave Chesson. And they're doing some really innovative things with Atticus that Vellum is not doing and probably won't integrate. So I'm interested to see where they go with that. Yeah, the biggest difference between Atticus and Vellum is that Vellum really stays in its own lane and it just does typesetting. Right. So you right. can write your book in Atticus. You can write your book in Microsoft Word or Scrivener or Google Docs. Vellum doesn't really care. What Vellum does is it takes your edited Word doc that you got back from your editor. Because <laughs> let's be honest, the editors almost all of them use Word. And it turns that into the EPUB file and the PDF that become the final versions of your book. That's what we mean by typesetting. And that's really all Vellum does. It does that one thing and it does it so well that everybody loves Vellum, whether they're sponsored or not. It's just a great product. <laughs> True. Atticus, on the other hand, is also trying to compete with Scrivener and Google Docs and Microsoft Word and Vellum. Yes. <laughs> so it's a much more ambitious project. But what's nice about it is that it works on Windows, Mac, Linux, and Chromebook. And so if you are using that $200 Chromebook, Atticus is an option. And it's an option basically for whatever platform you're using. So it's much more friendly for all of the platforms than Vellum. But whichever one you go with, you're not going to be spending much more than $250 for typesetting software. Uh, book covers typically cost between $250 and $1,000, depending on how good of a book cover designer that you're going with and the nature of the book cover. If it includes illustrations, it's typically more expensive. If it's all done by human, it's typically more expensive. If it's just topography, often it's cheaper. If you're using AI elements, it's cheaper. I have a bunch of episodes on book covers that you can listen to. We'll link to in the show notes for this episode, but that's going to be your big cost. And if you're going with crowdfunding to pay for the printing of your book, and the editing of your book. The one thing you need to pay for ahead of time is the book cover, because that's what you're going to use mm -hmm. in your crowdfunding campaign. And if you're on a budget and cash is tight, crowdfunding is a really great way to get tomorrow's money today to pay for today's expenses, which really makes a difference. And Ken, I know that you're a big advocate for crowdfunding with your Profitable Author podcast. I'm surprised not every episode is about Kickstarter. <laughs> well, I actually recently had a guest who did a book with Kickstarter, and the whole episode was about that. It was really interesting, and I think that's a great option for people who – who have a book particularly that is illustration heavy or they have a special printing of it or, or whatever. I think that's a great option. I also would add in there that if somebody doesn't want to use something like Kickstarter and they just want to pay for stuff up front, I remember the days when I was first getting started as a writer, I just had to do whatever I needed to do to get the cash to pay for editing and cover design and I think there's something to be said for thinking in terms of being kind of a scrappy author. I taught at a Christian college for a long time, and I had a bunch of original language Bible references, which is really expensive to buy that stuff. And I had this big book sale. And so students would come up to my office when I was doing that, and they would buy all these books. And I made several hundred dollars selling some of my books that I wasn't really using. And that's how I actually funded the editing of my second book. And sometimes I would sell stuff on Facebook Marketplace, or that's also when I was first getting into freelance writing. 
I was writing a lot of podcast show notes at the time for a couple of people. That's how I funded my book covers for a couple of books. So I think to just do what you need to do to get the money, sell stuff, deliver pizzas, do crowdfunding. But you have to think in terms of being assertive and being scrappy and just do whatever you need to do to have a good quality book. That's right. And the skills that you're getting as an author and listening to this podcast are skills that are useful in other places and in other ways. In fact, it's just three or four weeks after the Novel Marketing Conference concluded. And I got an email from one of the attendees who said that he's now using what he learned at the conference. He's got a new role at his company where he became the marketing guy because they're having a, a meeting and they're like talking about marketing. And because he went to this conference and because he's been listening to this podcast, he's up on all the jargon and, and everyone looked at him and like, you seem to know a thing or two about marketing. And now he's the marketing guy. And it led to a bigger, richer role in his business. And there's a lot of people who are looking for writers to do various things or help with websites. Everyone's constantly looking for help with websites. So the more you learn to do yourself, the more you can sell those skills to somebody else to help fund the book production if money is tight. And I would also throw this in there too. So I mentioned I taught college for a long time. One of the things that I did at our school was I would volunteer occasionally for administrative kinds of things. We read at our school website. I was in charge of that project one year. I did video editing and I would sometimes work with our admissions department. I did a bunch of different things that were not related to my main job there, but I found that to be immensely helpful in helping me to be a better marketer, person who knew more about website stuff and sales. And even if you work at a, a little, little tiny company somewhere, or you do a job that is not related to writing or fiction or book stuff, every single company needs marketing and sales and web stuff. You can learn so much at your day job just by doing some extra things that you can then apply to your career as a writer that you probably wouldn't think about. But there are opportunities all around you constantly, no matter what your day job is, if you have a day job. If you haven't joined a mastermind group or some kind of coaching group by year three, this is a good year where you're starting to do it. These sorts of groups are really helpful if you're indie publishing and you're going through the publishing process because there's a million little piddly questions that it's nice to have the ability to get answers from fellow human beings. <laughs> yes. Somebody who's gone down that road before. Another thing I would say is probably a good thing to get in year three. Some people get it in year two and they build their website. But that's your professional email address. Your, you know, Thomas at authormedia.com, John at johnsmith.com email address. So you're no longer using that Gmail mm -hmm. URL. I definitely think if you're going to publish a book, it's worth it to get that professional email address so that you can put your email address in the book somewhere so that readers can email you. And you don't want to commit to some company for the next 50 years. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and if you have a professional email address, you can change, right? I'm using Gmail for thomas at authormedia.com. But if I decide I don't like Google, I could switch and use Apple or Microsoft. And thomas at authormedia.com would continue being the email address that everyone sees. But my Gmail, if I switch away from Google for my Gmail, I have to get a totally different email address. And now that old email address mm -hmm. is broken. And we have a whole episode on professional email addresses. You're looking at about $5 a month. You may already be paying for it through one or the other of the subscriptions they've been bullied into joining. But if not, you're looking at 5 to $10 a month per email address. So if you're just getting one for you, it's not very expensive. And I'd say that's it for 
year three, not everyone publishes a book in year three. And there's a lot to be said about continuing to work on your craft and continuing to improve and writing a whole book that you don't publish. So I don't want you to feel pressured to publish your book in year three. I just want to kind of give you an idea of the costs. So the costs you're looking at editing, $500 to $2,500 for editing, depending on how many editors you get. Editing can go as high as 5000 if you're getting a, a really A-tier editor or a big team of editors. The cover we already talked about. The typesetting, you don't have to pay a company or somebody to do typesetting for you. Get Vellum, get Atticus, you can do it yourself. You can also pay somebody about the cost of those pieces of software to do it for you. <laughs> but then you have to pay them again next time. Uh, but it's one fewer thing to worry about if you don't want to mess with the typesetting. But really, I don't recommend it. Because if you're going indie and somebody points out a typo on page 47, if you did the typesetting yourself, you can just fix it and upload the new fixed file. And everybody with a Kindle will get the corrected version. And everyone with print-on-demand moving forward will get the corrected version. Whereas if you're paying somebody to do the typesetting, you have to hope they'll do it for you for free or pay them again. It's a, it's a big hassle. Kent Sanders is the host of the Profitable Writer podcast, a show that helps you make more money as a writer. And we'll have a link to the Profitable Writer podcast in the show notes. If you want to give it a listen, you can find it in the same app you're listening to this podcast in. Now, I'm stopping the interview here, but Kent and I talked for another 20 minutes. We went through years four and years five of your author career. We talked about LLCs and a lot more, but we're already over half an hour for this episode, so I'm going to stop it here. But if you want to hear the extended edition of this episode, you can find it in the patrons-only podcast feed. So if you're a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, which I know many of you are, you can find the extended edition of this podcast in your app if you've subscribed to the patrons-only feed in your podcast app. And if you haven't, you'll find instructions on how to do that at patreon.com. Speaking of patrons, patrons save 50% off the course Tax and Business Guide for Authors. So if you're wanting to learn more about business, both creating a business plan, when to form an LLC, tax deductions for authors, how to reduce your likelihood of being audited, how to determine if you are even eligible for tax deductions as an author, and more, this course walks you through all of that. It's a course taught by me and Tom Umstadt, CPA, who is my dad, who's been working with authors and screenwriters for over 40 years with taxes. So he knows a lot. You can learn more about the Author Tax and Business Guide for Authors at authortaxtips.com or at authormedia.com slash courses. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of AuthorMedia.com. Our guest today is Kent Sanders. Our producer is Lori Christine. The audio engineering is by William Umstadt. And the blog post is crafted by Shauna Lettler. You can find that blog post version of this episode, including links to everything we talked about today at AuthorMedia.com slash 407. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.